Hello, this is Pastor Ryan Brown, and you are listening to the Aroma of Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Let's get started. Our scripture reading for this week is Isaiah 29, verses 13 through 24. We come into the end of a section of Isaiah Uh, 29, that is particularly showing the judgment that will come to Israel and some of the things that is causing that judgment to happen. So Isaiah prophesies of the generation at his time and all the generations of Israel that receive something of the judgment before the restoration, that they are being put into that judgment precisely because they honor only with the lips. Their worship of Yahweh is empty not actually stemming from the heart. In some regard, verse 15 indicates that at least some of the children of Israel are doing this intentionally, not just deceiving themselves, but directly and intentionally trying to hide their counsel from the Lord as if he will be flattered by their words, regardless of whether their heart is in it or not. But then there is a shift. A shift for a restoration that is still future, which means in many ways, the description in verses 13 through 16 is a description of Israel up until the time of that restoration, when the reasons for the judgment are then dealt with by the Lord, how they are redeemed and reconciled then through the blood of Jesus Christ and will be made big and large. But we begin with familiar words about the hypocrisy of the children of Israel that causes their judgment. The word of God reads, Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For their wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while? And Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed. And all that watch for iniquity are cut off. 
that make man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name, and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. Matthew 15, verses 1 to 11. At this point in, um, at this point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew is focusing in on different narrative sections that show who Jesus is and cause the people that are around him to identify him as such. In the last couple of weeks, that's been Jesus showing that he is the Lord by providing, in miraculous ways, providing food, providing the ability to have a way through the sea. But today is about the Pharisees and them coming in, scouting out and opposing Jesus and how that continues to show their rejection of his identity. And it begins like this. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Father, we do ask that you would guide what is said here today and guide our thoughts as well, that we would focus in upon your word, we would understand more about it. And Lord, as your spirit is always with, with us, use him today to cause us to see it for all that it is, to believe it, and ultimately to live in light of it. Guide us to the beauty and let us exult in it today and every day, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you attend a wedding, check out many of you would have just done yesterday, you'd find a situation in which the guy doing the wedding was going to say, by the power invested in me. And he's going to then apply to two different authorities that has then produced, or at least in a Christian wedding, two different authorities that have given him that power. The state and God. And there are other times where we also have authority mentioned where the question of on whose authority is this gets presented clearly. 
when there were mask mandates everywhere, it would often say, by order of the governor, masks are required in this building. There still can be such things saying by order of the administrator of this building or anything of that sort. It clarifies who is stating and giving the authority because we want to know. We have that inherent question of on whose authority is this decree coming? And the Pharisees kind of want to know that too. But they also have their own answer. They have their own answer as to what authority they have. And that then creates a conflict. On whose authority does it really matter in Matthew 15, 1 through 11? This passage begins for first scene, verses 1 to 2, with the Pharisees confronting Jesus. Verse 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Now we've seen the Pharisees at several points within Matthew's Gospel. And they've come and they've been opposing Jesus. Even saying that his work is the work of Satan. But this one's a little bit different. Because as far as Matthew's gospel goes, up to this point, the Pharisees have just been there. We don't know why they were in the area. They were just there. And then they had reason to be opposed. But here in this verse, they're coming to Jesus. Scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem to Gennesaret, as Matthew 14, 34 says. And this is the first time that they've specifically come to Jesus for any purpose. It's at least to scout out his ministry, though at least one translation suggests that it's actually for the purpose of making opposition and accusation against his ministry that we see in verse 2. But we can see that the temperature in the room is increasing. The Pharisees are here, and the first thing they do is oppose Jesus, saying in verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Oh, horror of horrors. The disciples are eating their food with unwashed hands. Now there's nothing in the Mosaic Law that would require you to wash your hands before you eat food. If anything is about washing hands, it all has to do with what the priests do in the temple. But here, on the authority of the tradition of the elders, the Pharisees come and say, why do your disciples do this thing? And implied in that is the statement, your disciples are your responsibility. Get them in line. Get them to pay attention to the authority of the elders that the Pharisees believe are the continuity with the Mosaic law and the Mosaic tradition. 
but Jesus doubts this authority. He doesn't think that the traditional authority of the elders is actually very good. He finds it suspect. And so after the Pharisees confront him in scene two, Jesus confronts the Pharisees. Verses three through nine. Verse three. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also? transgress the commandments of God by your tradition. This definitely wouldn't be the way to cool down the temperature in the room. Rather, spikes it. He ignores their question, and Jesus challenges the very authority that they find to be ultimate and supreme at this time. You say that the tradition of the elders is an authority that we should listen to, but that same authority, your tradition, is contradicting God's word. And in so emphasizing God's commandment versus y'all's tradition, he shows where the authority must indeed lie. Why would we pay attention to this tradition if other parts of the tradition violate the very words of God? That, of course, requires a little bit of support. You can't exactly just say, yep, you're violating God's word and continue on. And he's willing to provide it. If in Matthew 5 he looks at the various traditions and things about the Mosaic Law and says, ye have heard it said, But I say, now he flips it. God said, but y'all say. Verse 4, for God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandments of God of none effect by your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. There's no playing around with God and his covenant people. Respect to the central authority of father and mother is very much vital. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments with anything like a promise of obedience and what goes on in there. And also, if one doesn't do it. If one does the exact opposite of honoring father or mother and instead curses father or mother, that person is to be put to death. Obedience and honoring of parents is crucial within what God told Israel and the very first time he spoke on Sinai. But not to the tradition of the elders. They see this command of honoring father and mother, and then they say something else. 
They say that something else is more important and supersedes that command. Reading again in verse 5, But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. The language of gift we've seen before refers to giving to the temple, the physical structure that represented God's presence with the people. And what they are saying is if someone looks at the things in which he could do to fulfill his familial obligations, if he looks at the money and things that he has and says, I could give this to honor my parents, but instead says, I'm going to give it to the temple, the Pharisees say, that's good. That's an okay thing. You need not honor your father and mother if you are doing it for the temple itself. The temple, the Pharisees say, is more important than honoring of parents. And so for the sake of this ritualistic worship of Yahweh, they make void the command of Yahweh to honor father and mother. Kind of seems like they've missed the point on whose authority then are they truly acting? If in order to preserve Mosaic law and customs, they violate and make void the most significant ones. And so Jesus finishes, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And that is enough of a confrontation right there. That has already shown a significant increase in the temperature of the room. But Jesus isn't done. Instead, he quotes from the passage that we read this morning in our scripture reading about the hypocrisy of the ancient generation that caused the judgment to come to Israel. And he says in verses 7 to 9, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We've noted the word hypocrites before. Having read through Matthew before, I immediately attributed the hypocrites in the Sermon on the Mount to the Pharisees. But significantly, Jesus didn't there. This is the first time he actually applies the word hypocrites, the idea of hypocritical pretenders, to a specific person or group of people calling the Pharisees and scribes hypocritical pretenders that when it comes to their worship of Yahweh, they might as well be paid actors. Because that's all they're doing, is acting. 
pretending to be what they actually are not. They think, or at least claim, to be preserving the ancient tradition of Moses. But in fact, they're preserving the ancient spirit of hypocrisy that Isaiah had prophesied against. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They say all the right things. They do all the right things. They have the rituals, in fact they elevate the rituals of temple worship. So they clearly have the actions of ritual worship correct. That would be commendable if it weren't just empty rituals. If their heart was actually close to where their lips were. If there wasn't a divide between what they were on the outside and what they were on the inside. Before their commands of men, they disregard the authority and command of God, and yet still honor him with their lips. There's an expression that Paul likes using a lot. It's two words in Greek and comes in my mind quite a bit at various times. If I'm reading, I'll often just write the Greek beside in the section that I'm reading. You see it in many translations as may it never be. That captures the words themselves. You'd find it in the King James, perhaps with a a better sense of what he's trying to convey with the words, God forbid. And as I think through in my own life and in the life of the church broadly and the church here, and I see the reading of the Pharisees Now then they're claiming and thinking that they were preserving Mosaic tradition and they're drawing near with their mouth with their heart being far removed. Can't help but simply think may genoita God forbid may it never be so with us. May our hearts always be pure in worship, drawing near to Jesus, loving him, coming before him, and not just having our lips, our actions, go through the motions and be rather hypocrites, emptily worshiping. May it never be the case that we might as well be paid actors. 
but sincere, worshiping in spirit and in truth. That quotation of Isaiah finishes Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. He won't address them again at this particular passage. And if the temperature of the room, if the hostility between Jesus and the Pharisees was increasing throughout the entire time of his confrontation with the Pharisees, how much more so when he finally does answer their question but ignores them while doing it. But not casting his pearls before swine, instead tells the crowd who could still be deceived by them how they are wrong in what they're saying. And so our our last scene, verses 10 to 11, is Jesus warning the crowds. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the man, the mouth, this defileth a man. The Pharisees may not be worth responding to, but Jesus says the crowd is. So he calls them to him and says, listen, hear, and don't just hear, make sure that you comprehend, understand, and know what I am saying. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of a mouth, that defileth a man. The Pharisees are missing the point of where true defilement comes from. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. The rest of the conversation about the dispute with the Pharisees in verses 12 to 20, which Lord willing we'll look at next week, clarifies what is in in fact at play in the inside where the words that come out of one's mouth are reflective of the heart that is present. But here, Jesus' comment is that nothing that goes into the mouth can defile, but only what comes out. And that's broader than the immediate conflict. Up to this point in our discussion, we've seen that the Pharisees are ignoring parts of the Mosaic law because they think their tradition is able to interpret it and say that the temple is more important than those parts, that they have the authority to do such a thing. And if it was just about eating with unwashed hands, that eating with unwashed hands wouldn't be able to defile a person, then that's what we'd have. That the authority of scripture, the authority of the Mosaic law, trumps the authority of the tradition. But Jesus' comment goes one step farther. Nothing that goes into a mouth of a man 
defiles Batman. Turn with me to Leviticus 11. Coming in after a sin of the people of Israel, more laws are being discussed as to how they can be hemmed in so as to be part of a people that has God's presence in their midst. And the whole of chapter 11 shows us the reality of clean and unclean foods. And indeed shows us that there are foods that can defile a man. Leviticus 11.1 And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And it keeps going. Covers land animals, covers sea animals, covers the ones that bridge the gap between the two, covers flying creatures. These are the ones you can, these are the ones you can't eat. Even later in Leviticus, it gets down to the point that eating the wrong type of clean animal, or the wrong part of a clean animal, that also can be something that goes into your mouth that defiles you. Leviticus 17.10 and whatsoever man there shall be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. Or later in verse 15, And every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even. Then shall he be clean. Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees is saying that on their own authority and tradition of the elders, they have made void certain parts of the Mosaic law. And yet he declares all food clean. On what authority does he do that? Now, some would argue that the Levitical purity laws are a little bit less here than the Ten Commandments. And that would be correct. The, Pentateuch itself gives us the impression that Exodus 19 through 24 is more crucial, central part of the Mosaic law as such. But turn back with me to Matthew, but to Matthew chapter 8. 
Because the argument of the Pharisees is that the temple supersedes some familial obligations. But in Matthew 8, Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 8, 21, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Or later, in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The temple does not subvert familial obligations in any way, shape, or form. But one greater than the temple is here. Where he is then to say that if you love father or mother more than him, you are not worthy of him. If you say you want to fulfill your familial obligations to bury your father first, He'll question how authentic you truly are in sacrificing for discipleship to carry up your cross and follow after him. Jesus and his kingdom are more important. Not going to completely make void or abrogate the command to honor the father or mother, but are more important than even those commands. On whose authority? On Jesus' authority. Because Jesus is God and can show us what that means. It's not God's word against man's word, it's God's word being clarified by God, being explained as to what the heart of the matter truly is. And it's also then getting to the main point of verses 1 to 11. The Pharisees think that they and their tradition fulfills the Mosaic law, fulfills all of the Torah, all of the Old Testament, and is then that culmination and climax, and that they therefore have the right to interpret what it means. But this passage shows us that it's Jesus and his kingdom not the Pharisees and their tradition that is rightly able to interpret the law because he is the culmination of it. As indeed we've already seen in Matthew 5, when that passage of, you have heard it said, but I say, Jesus as the fulfillment is the one through which everything comes. As Carson writes, Jesus insists that the true direction in which the Old Testament law points is precisely what he teaches, what he is, 
and what he inaugurates. He has fulfilled the law, therefore whatever prescriptive force it continues to have is determined by its relationship to him. It follows that Jesus not only rejected the Pharisees and teachers of the law as authentic interpreters of scripture, but assigned that role finally and absolutely to himself. So what? This passage tells us that Jesus came with the authority of God the Father because he is God the Son. He's Yahweh in the flesh, ready to save his people from their sins. It tells us that he is greater than the temple, greater than the tradition of the Pharisees, that it is he who is in continuity with the word of Moses. It shows us that Jesus can make the old new and has made the old new. Showing what the Old Testament was always all about. The coming of the snake crusher to bring salvation from sin to the whole world. So it shows Jesus in his supreme authority, his supreme fulfillment of everything from all pages of scripture. And in that way, it tells us what we are to do with him. If he's a man with that much authority, and he is, then we must listen to what he says. And yes, that would imply obedience to his commands and all of them, that his authority is what counts. But the primary point of his message, the summary Matthew himself has given at times, is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's repent and believe in the gospel. He has the authority to tell us what is necessary, and what he tells us is necessary is to turn from our sin and come to him as he comes on the cross, as the best possible news providing salvation for us at all times, just by believing in his name. This he does on his own authority as the Son of Man able to forgive sins. So let's come to him and rejoice. If you haven't ever come to know Jesus, and you haven't come to him and taken and repented as he has said, let today be that day. And if you have done that, let us continue to rejoice in this abundant provision and respond to his authority to forgive our sins by rejoicing in it. And also, may we continue to uh, show his authority and respond to his authority by seeking to obey him and worship him purely from the heart. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for what you have and continue to do for us. And we ask that we would rejoice in you. Lord, allow for us to recognize the authority of your son. 
to re respond to it appropriately and rightly. And ultimately to rejoice in the fact that he is the one with that authority. Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>